Good morning, Redemption. So a Washington Post re- reporter conspired with Joshua Bell, a world-class violinist. The conspiracy was this. He was going to play and perform in a Washington, D.C. subway. He was going to perform the most exquisite masterpieces, the most glorious music the world has ever composed, and he was going to perform it during rush hour and the busy commotion of people on their way to work, on their way to dropping off the kids at childcare, in the midst of this busy commotion. And the question they set out to ask, they said, was, in a banal setting, at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? Now, the power of this performance had to do with the identity of the violinist. If you're unfamiliar with Joshua Bell, uh, he's been described by Oscar-winning composers as playing like a god. Uh, His talents can command $1,000 a minute. He has played before royalty around the world. Three days earlier, he had packed out Boston Stately Symphony Hall, where merely good tickets could still command over $100 for tickets. Interview Magazine described him as uh, his plane. They said his plane does nothing less than tell human beings why they bother to live. The violin he was playing on was valued at $3.5 million, a 1713 Stradivarius down here in the subway. And for 45 minutes as he played, their question was, how many people will stop to listen? Will they be able to hear the music? Today, we are going to see Jesus preparing to give a glorious performance in an unexpected place. We're in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to John chapter 17, we are picking up in our Gospel of John series, uh, having come out of Advent last month. And as we jump back in to this Gospel of John series, what's happening in John 17 is Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. This is the moment, it's kind of the turning point in his ministry as he is now preparing to go to the cross. And so this passage we're in is occurring the night before his death the night before his execution, his final night with his disciples. And uh, now in this passage, we're going to see he is turning to what is known as his high priestly prayer, where Jesus is praying with his father and for his disciples about the work that he's about to accomplish on the cross and for the unity of his disciples' witness before the world. So the next three weeks, we're going to be here in John chapter 17. And as this prayer begins, Jesus is talking with his father about their conspiracy together kind of like that reporter and the world-class violinist preparing this conspiracy. So the father and the son are undertaking this conspiracy to play the most beautiful masterpiece, the most significant music the world has ever heard, the melody of our salvation in a very unexpected place. Through the banality, the mundaneness, the horror even of the cross, is where this most beautiful symphony of God's divine love is going to be expressed. And the question that you and I are faced with this morning, as we enter into Jesus with his prayer and as we stand before the cross, the question is, can you hear the music? What does it look like for you and I to attune our ears to the symphony of our salvation that's expressed and displayed in the cross? Let's pick up in John chapter 17, verse 1. 
So when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, so he's, he's praying here, he's entering now into prayer, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Everyone say the hour. The hour. The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Well, let's stop there for a moment. The first thing we see here is that Jesus is preparing for the symphony in the subway. Jesus is preparing for the symphony in the subway. He is preparing for the cross. When he says, the hour has come, that phrase, the hour, in John's gospel, it's a reference to the cross. All throughout John's gospel thus far, the disciples are regularly asking Jesus, almost like little kids tugging on their parents, hey, is it time yet? Is it, is it time yet? Has the hour come for you to reveal your glory to the world? And all throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. He's going, hey, the time is not yet here. And now in John chapter 17, there's a pivot in the plot. There's a turning point in the story where Jesus is saying, hey, that, that moment that you guys have been waiting for, the hour for me to reveal my glory, the time for me to display myself to the world, that hour has come. Only here's the problem. The disciples are thinking that means Carnegie Hall. But Jesus is anticipating the subway. The location for this glory, this hour where his glory will be displayed is not Carnegie Hall. It's not the Masterpiece Theater. It's in the subway, in the depths and the horror and the commotion and the chaos of our world. Now, Jesus says, the hour has come, glorify your son. He's praying for the Father to glorify him through the cross. Jesus sees the cross as his glorification, as being glorified. And you and I rightly ask, how is this glory? How is his crucifixion, a glorification. Well, this is where Christ is atoning for your and I's sin. This is where he is being exalted as the crucified king who in divine love is reconciling the world to himself. The cross is where Jesus is glorified as he reveals his divine love to the world through his humanity. Jesus then says, uh, glorify your son in order that the son may glorify you. Jesus sees the cross not only as the place where the father will glorify him, but also as the location from which he will glorify the father. How is Jesus glorifying his father at the cross? Well, at the cross, Jesus is submitting his humanity to the divine will. The cross, he is faithful unto death. The cross is the display of Jesus's perfect obedience. He is redeeming and living a true humanity in areas where you and I have failed and are flawed and have fallen short. Where Adam and Eve disobeyed in a garden, Jesus is now obeying in this garden, the garden in which he prays. Whereas Adam and Eve unleashed death through a tree, now Jesus is going to unleash life through a tree, the cross. Jesus is essentially saying here, Father, Send me down into the subway to play our song. Send me to the cross where I will glorify you and you will glorify me and the symphony of this glory will be put on display for all the world to hear. The cross is where the symphony of the Father and the Son's eternal love is played in the subway of the world. Now, uh, 
again, the disciples, as they're anticipating this, they're anticipating Carnegie Hall. And if we here's an image of Carnegie Hall. Um, they're expecting like Jesus's glory to just be displayed in the temple and the throne and that he's gonna take charge and take control and take over. But the subway is the image. This is a better image for the location where Jesus is gonna display his glory. That like that reporter and that violinist conspiring, the father and the son are conspiring here for this hour that has come where this glory is gonna be displayed, only it's gonna be in an unexpected place. It's not gonna be in Carnegie Hall. It's gonna be down below in a dirty, chaotic commotion of our world at the cross. And like that subway, the father and son's goal is to display beauty for this transcendent beauty that will transcend. It's the language of glory. It's that the the beauty and majesty of the divine glory would be put on display through the subway of the cross. And the question is rightly, will this beauty transcend? Will we be able to see it and hear it? And the question this morning is, do you see the cross as Jesus's glory? Do you see the cross as the glory of Christ? We have a tendency, you and I, we tend to see the cross as Jesus' humiliation, but not as his glorification, right? Uh, We can tend to see like, the cross, that's where Jesus was defeated. That's where he got beat, but the resurrection is his victory, right? But no, Jesus in the gospel reframes it to actually say that the cross is Jesus' victory and the resurrection is his vindication. The cross is the victory of Christ where he is glorified. How can that be, you might ask? Well, the cross is where your sin is atoned for, where your enemy was defeated. The cross is where your and I's chains are broken and we are set free. When someone asks you, when were you saved? You can tell them 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Because the cross is where Christ's victory on your and I's behalf was accomplished. The cross is where he is lifted up as the crucified king, where he is most fully united to you and I in the depths of our condition. The cross is where he is lifted up and exalted as savior. Because the cross is where your and I's salvation is found. The cross is where we as citizens of the subway can become children of his kingdom. And the reality is you and I, we couldn't afford the tickets to Carnegie Hall, right? So God brought the symphony down to you. You might be here this morning going, man, I, I don't feel like I have the righteousness I need to get into God's kingdom. And the good news of the gospel says he, he knew that and he has brought the righteousness of his kingdom to you. The cross is the symphony of your salvation. It's where the divine glory is put on display so that you could hear the music, you could be drawn in, and its beauty could transcend the muck and the corruption and the brokenness of your life and the depravity of our world. The cross is where the symphony of your salvation is put on display. Well, how do we get access to that salvation? How do we let that music take root in us. Jesus goes on in verse two and he says this. He says, uh, Father, since you have given the Son authority over all flesh, why has why the Father given the Son this authority over all flesh? Jesus says, it's in order to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. What is eternal life? You might be asking. Good question. It says, and this is eternal life, that they know 
you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says here, in essence, that eternal life is being able to hear the music. Eternal life is being able to hear the music that the Father and the Son are playing through the cross and to be brought into the glory of the symphony. Jesus says the reason he has been given this authority by the Father is to give us eternal life. The Father glorifies Jesus in his death so that you and I can have eternal life. Now, when we hear that word eternal, I think we can tend to think of this eternal life as something just for the afterlife, just for after we die. But the reality of the gospel says, no, that eternal life is accessible and available to you and I here and now. That eternal life was made available at the cross. So ever since the cross, you and I have access to the life that is eternal here and now that the Father and the Son delight to share their life with you and I in the Spirit. We have access to their eternal life in the Spirit even now. But you could be going, okay, well then what is this eternal life? And Jesus says it is that they would know you. That you and I, that we would know the only true God, the Father, and that we would know Christ, the Son. Eternal life is being brought into the conductors of the symphony of being brought into relationship with them. Uh, and this knowledge, this knowing them, what they were talking about here, Jesus, the word he uses, it's not just like an abstract head knowledge. It is a relational in your bones knowledge. It's not just knowing about God, it's knowing God. To say if uh, one of you guys here, maybe will come to me and you're gonna go, hey, uh, Josh, I started dating someone. I'd be like, oh, that's great. Well, tell me about her. You know, I'm like, oh, well, dude, it's great. She... She works at Cartel, or she goes to Cartel in the morning, you know, and she has her coffee and she reads her Bible. She's a godly woman. She loves God. You know, she reads her Bible at Cartel. And then after that, like she hops on her bike and she goes down to State Farm, Rio Salado, down by the river. She, she works at State Farm. She's an insurance agent. And there, there she works with her insurance stuff and all. And, and then when she finishes that, she gets done for the day. At about 5 p.m., she'll, she'll hop back on her bike. She'll go to Sprouts and pick up some stuff for dinner and, you know, go home and cook dinner. And uh, she likes making this, and I've seen her make this, and she makes this. And be like, oh, that's all great. Um, but, hey, what's her name? And if you're like, I don't know. I'm like, dude, you're not dating her. You're stalking her, right? <laughs> like, you know a lot about her, but you don't actually know her. My friend Bill used that example with me once and it kind of struck me going, man, you can know a lot about Jesus and yet still not know Jesus. Some of you are stalking Jesus, right? You're like, dude, I'm listening to all sorts of podcasts about people talking about Jesus and I got all this doctrinal information and theology books I read, whatever else. But yes, but do you know Jesus? Have you heard his voice? Are you reading the scriptures yourself to be attentive to the word of Christ himself and the voice of Christ himself, of getting to know the sound and the tenor of his voice. Somebody was like, man, I, I see others swimming in the waters of Jesus's presence, of his spirit, and they just seem saturated. Uh, but for us, it can feel like, man, but I'm, I'm kind of holding on to the edge of the pool because I, I, I believe that I know about it and I believe that it's there, but I don't know that I can let go of the pool to actually enter in. And, and, 
And the invitation is going, man, Jesus is not just inviting you to know about him, he's inviting you to know him, to, to bring your life before his presence in prayer and to listen for his voice in response and to commune with him, the creator of the universe who has come down to the subway for your salvation. The invitation of the gospel is not just to know about Jesus, it is to know Jesus and in him to know his father through their spirit. Some of us know that Jesus is a great violinist, but can you hear the music? Can you hear the music? It's interesting, in this subway experiment uh, that they did, only a few people actually stopped. Uh, They actually expected many people to stop. As they were anticipating this experiment, they were kind of going, dude, do we need to get like riot police involved? What if like it's kind of the small contained area and when people realize who he is and everyone's just kind of going crazy and everyone stops and all the traffic and everything's happening, do we, do we need to ha- have a backup plan? And they're plotting their backup plans on the whiteboard just in case. But then what they found was over a thousand people just rushed on by. And Only about 27 people put money in. He made like 37 bucks that 45 minutes, right? And it was interesting. They interviewed people after they had gone by, and it was interesting to hear some of the reasons of why people rushed on by and the reason why others, the few, stopped to listen. Uh, Why people didn't hear the beauty, the music. Uh, For many, it was just they were busy. They were distracted. They had places to go, things to get done. I got to get to work. We got to drop the kids off at child care. I got to get the next thing. And so the commotion and busyness and the other agenda, I feel like that can be a good picture for us sometimes. That um, Man, our lives, we, we have busyness and commotion and the chaos of all the things that we're immersed in. And it can feel hard to make time to tune our ears to our creator. And yet the reality is that commotion can kind of overwhelm us. And there is a beauty that is accessible and available to us, even in the subway of our lives. So some were so busy they could not recognize the beauty at such an inconvenient time. For others, they said it was the mundane place. They said the mundane place. They enjoyed music. They even enjoyed classical music. They enjoyed this type of music, but they didn't expect so great a figure to be encountered in such a mundane place. And I believe that some of us, we can think that you can only experience God in Carnegie Hall. And the power of the gospel is that God is a God who delights to reveal himself and to show up not only 2,000 years ago on Calvary, but still today in the mundane places of your life. That God is a God who delights to show up not only in the places where you're polished and performed and have it all put together, but the places that are dirty in your life and have graffiti on the walls and places where your sin has wreaked destruction and places where it's not just commotion and chaos. It's it's actually the, the, the gnarliness of your sin and the things that you've done. You're going, God could never come to be with me in this place. Jesus, the master of violence, he could never be. And the beauty of the gospel is like, this is the kind of God you have. Jesus is a God who delights to enter into the dirty and the broken and the chaotic and the messed up places of your life and to perform his symphony there. Well, it was interesting to see, too, why why some people did stop. For those who did actually stop to soak in and hear the music, uh, some said they recognized the identity of the violinist. 
There's one woman who said she had seen him uh, a week prior actually performing at the symphony hall, and she, she put in 20 bucks, right? And uh, she stopped to enjoy the music. And I, I believe that's similar. Like, what, what makes the cross so powerful, it's, it's not just the image itself. Sometimes we've become accustomed to the cross because we see it on, you know, necklaces and whatever else, but we can miss the power of the cross. And the power of the cross is not in the wood. The power of the cross is in the one who hangs on it. When you recognize the identity of, like the identity of the violinist, when you recognize the identity of Jesus, he not only plays like a God, he is the eternal son of God who for us and our salvation was sent from heaven to earth, from Carnegie into the subway of the world, into the subway of your life. When you see that Jesus is the one who hangs there for you, you begin to see the power of the cross. You begin to hear the majesty of the symphony, that this is more than just some extra playing some notes for spare change. Jesus didn't perform on the cross because he needed it. He did it because you need it. He did it for you and for me. Others stopped to enjoy the music because they were familiar with good music. It was like the I think it was like the head of the United States Postal Service for all the country or something. You know, and he's on his way to work. He's an important guy. He's got things to do, places to get to, whatever. But he stopped because he had played and performed classical music back in the day. And he recognized, whoa, these are the most challenging, difficult pieces, masterpieces to play. And this guy's just killing it. Something is going on here. He was familiar enough with the music to recognize the greatness. And similarly, I believe when you and I, we become attuned, we become familiar with the beauty of the biblical story. When you begin to tune your ears to the music of God's story in scripture, what we begin to find is that sacrificial love is at, is at the heart. It's pulsing through almost every page. That we become familiar and we begin to see that the sacrificial love expressed on the cross, it's not an exception to who God is. It is the climactic revelation of who God is. And we stop to rejoice in the majesty of the performance. The final category that struck me and, and who stopped listening to the music was this. They, they found that for those who rushed on by and those who stopped, there was no category they could divide people by, like age or race or gender or class. None of these made a difference in who did stop versus who didn't stop to enjoy the beauty, except for one. There was one category they found, and that was the category of children. Every child stopped. Every child tugged on their parents' jacket, tugged on their parents, tried to get their parents to stop to listen to the music. And so you can watch a video where the parents are kind of, you know, tugging the kids along. No, we got to get going. We got to get something. And the kids are like, mom, dad, stop, listen. The children recognized the beauty of what was happening. I believe similarly for you and I to see the glory of the cross, the power of the music and the beauty of the cross is to become like children again. Now, I'm not saying that you have to become like, like immature or uh, use a baby voice or any of that kind of stuff, right? But what I am saying is that we would reclaim the awe and wonder of being a child again. Because sometimes I think what happens is as you and I get older, your imagination can become deadened by life in the subway. 
Like our vision of the world can become numb through just the chaos and the commotion and the confusion and the noise and the congestion and the priority and the things we got to get. And, and all of that can start to clutter our imagination and numb and deaden our senses so that we don't recognize the beauty when it shows up. But the invitation of the gospel is that we would become like children again in our father's world. And it no longer surprises you when the beauty shows up in unexpected places. The question, as we are drawn into Jesus's prayer here, as we stand before the cross, the question is, can you hear the music? Can you see here the symphony of divine love that is being performed on your behalf? All right, well, what is Jesus' endgame at the cross? What, what is this conspiracy, this performance of the cross, ultimately out to do? We pick up in verse 4, and Jesus says to his Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is saying, hey, I glorified you. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence. Jesus is saying here is that the goal of this glory is harmony restored. That Jesus' victory on the cross is out to restore the harmony of creation. Let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, Father. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about his perfect humanity. That Jesus has lived the perfect Life. He's been the one true human who's lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. This began at his incarnation that uh, last month during Advent, we we're celebrating the incarnation of the word made flesh of God become flesh, the God man Christ for our salvation. But this didn't stop at his birth. It continued in his life as he grew in wisdom and in stature and in his ministry. And his, his entire life was the life lived a perfect humanity, perfect love for God, love for others, his holiness unleashing the kingdom of God for the world. Jesus lived the life that we didn't live. And now he's about to die the death that was ours to die so that you and I could live again in him. So Jesus says, I, I've done that, God. I, I, I've glorified you in my life. With, I've accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now glorify me in your presence. And here he's talking about his ascension, that he would be glorified, lifted up, exalted into the Father's own presence. And this raises a, a question here. When Jesus says, you know, being glorified and lifted up, is he talking about the cross or is he talking about his ascension? Is he talking about him being crucified on the cross or is he talking about him being resurrected and raised and glorified at the Father's right hand? It's actually kind of about both. If you're reading John's gospel, we kind of pay attention to John's gospel. John's saying it's a both end, not an either or, which can be a little confusing for us. So let me play theology nerd here for a moment. Just try and give us a one minute uh, synopsis here, that the way John's gospel is working, there's a lot of temple imagery. And what would happen in the temple is that the high priest, when he was making a sacrifice, he would go up. And so he would take the sacrificial animal, especially the, the day of atonement once a year, and he would go up, uh, like he's moving up to the heights of earth or this place where heaven and earth connect. And he would then make the sacrifice just outside the most holy place. 
And similarly, Jesus here, as our great high priest, he is coming and he is making the sacrifice of his very own life on the cross, just outside the most holy place. But next in the temple, what would happen is after the high priest had made the sacrifice, he would enter through by means of that sacrifice, he would go through the veil into the most holy place, which was God's throne room. The symbolism had the heavenly imagery of the stars and the angels and the cherubim, and it was as if he was going through sacrifice up under the heights of God's heavenly throne room and entering access into the most holy place, God's presence. Similarly, Jesus, his cross is where he is making his sacrifice of his very life. And then his resurrection and ascension is him passing by means of a sacrifice into the throne room of God, where he is given all authority in heaven on earth as our risen king. Jesus is going to be glorified in the Father's own presence after his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus says here uh, that as that happens, he says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. It's going to happen here. Jesus is going back to where he began, back to the right hand of the Father. Only now there is a difference. Back in eternity before, the difference between Jesus being at the Father's right hand before and now after his cross and resurrection is that he has his humanity with him. That Jesus is before the Father now as our great high priest. He didn't shed his body after his, uh, after his resurrection. He is now in a resurrected, vindicated, glorified body as a foretaste of the new creation. He is the beginning of all things being restored in him. The end game of his cross and resurrection and ascension is restoring the harmony of God's creation. Jesus' victory at the cross is what restores that harmony. Many of you may be familiar with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. He's kind of the author of Lord of the Rings, love Lord of the Rings. Uh, but many are less familiar with this work, The Silmarillion, that he wrote uh, that is almost like a backstory to Middle Earth, the place where Lord of the Rings takes place. And at the beginning of The Silmarillion, uh, Tolkien shares this story of like the creation story of how creation came about and the world was created through music. And so he has this image of uh, this godlike figure called a Luvatar, but this godlike figure gives these angel-like figures, he gives them these instruments so that they can play this music that's going to become creation. And as they're playing this beautiful symphony, it's glorious and it's just, man, it's music to the ears. It's amazing. Only there's one of these angel figures, Melkor, who he wants the glory for himself rather than God. And so he begins to throw in some clanging cymbals and some discord and begins crashing the music, trying to draw the attention away from the creator and onto himself. And as he does, the other angels are holding their ears going, ah, it sounds horrible. It sounds ugly. And, and all the angels are wondering, how is God going to respond? Only God does the craziest thing in this, in this, this story. Rather than just crushing Melkor like they expect, he inserts a new melody into the symphony. And this new melody grows and is able to soak in not only the discord, to weave in the discord, but all the beauty of all the other instruments and to restore harmony to creation. Then they sit back and this music plays out and they begin to see the creation of the world. And even the dark notes weave in into kind of the fires and the caverns beneath, but there's this beautiful symphony of creation. And what the redemptive melody of the creator did was it restored harmony to creation. Christ is the redemptive melody 
that at the cross is taking into himself our discord and our dissonance, our clanging symbols of our sin, our crashing because you and I wanted to rule the world on our own terms rather than under and with God. Jesus is taking upon himself the ways that we have turned God's glorious theater into a subway station, ways that we have vandalized and graffitied and uh, plundered and robbed and murdered in ways that we have taken God's glorious world and we have turned it into a, a place where, man, we, it, it's so, we become numb and to the noise of God's beautiful symphony. Jesus' victory restores the harmony of creation. And there is one major difference here with the story of that Washington Post reporter, the violinist, right? In, in, that, in that story, the violinist goes, he plays for 45 minutes and he's done and he leaves checks out. But in the gospel, God is turning the subway into Carnegie Hall. In the gospel, God is out to turn the subway station of our world into the Carnegie Hall, a theater for his glory, a place where the symphony of his divine love is played for all eternity. That the cross is where Christ has overcome the enemy's discord and dissonance and clashing symbols, and he's overcome our sin and in order to actually make not only this world, but to make your life a theater for his glory. What does this mean for us? Well, I believe that the gospel, what Christ has accomplished on the cross, it means that, that you and I, we, one, we, 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 that we would point to the violinist. Like as we stand before the cross, you and I would be like those children tugging on their parents' coats that with our neighbors and with our friends and with those around us, we would go, whoa, 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 stop. I know, I know you're busy. I know you got priorities and I know you got things to do. I know you got agenda. I know you got the stuff you're going to do, but would you stop and gaze upon the beauty of the king who was crucified for you? Would you stop and hear the glory of the father's love who sacrificed his only son, that you and I could become children of God? Would you pull the headphones out of your ears and listen to the symphony of divine love that God has put on display for all the world to see in the unexpected place of the cross? This is where the glory of God's eternal love has been put on display and performed and played for you and for I. Would we stop and point to the violinist. Second, we not only point to the violinist, but we receive the beauty. When you hear the music, the crazy thing is like the musical notes, they don't, they don't just stop. They go into your ears. They enter your person. They, they, they lift you up from the inside. I hear when we're singing, we're pressing, it's going into you and you receive the beauty. And it begins to transform you from the inside out. Would you receive the beauty of what Christ has done for you. And if you're like me, you could be saying, man, but I'm not, I'm not Carnegie Hall, right? Like, if you're like me, I, I found myself a lot of days just going, God, I feel way more like a subway, right? Like my life feels like it's got the commotion and the craziness, man, there's the graffiti of these things I've done. And there is no way that Jesus the master violinist, the eternal son of God, the, the one through whom all things were made, there's no way that he would want to come and take up residence and play his symphony in me. And the beauty 
of the gospel is that the subway of your life is where Jesus delights to come and play. Beauty of the gospel is going, it wasn't just a one-off event in some DC subway. The cross was not just some one-off event 2,000 years. It was, it was a decisive event 2,000 years ago, but it speaks to the God of the gospel who all throughout history now, all around the world, Jesus has been entering into the subway stations of lives like yours and mine and has been playing the symphony of his gospel for all the world to hear. Where is the subway in your life right now where you need to receive the performance of Jesus. We're going to come to the table here in a moment. It's a sign of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. As we come to the table, I want to invite you this morning to come and bring the subway parts of your life. Don't bring the Carnegie Hall parts. Don't bring like the polished performance. Here's God where I've got it all together. Bring the places where you need to receive the music. Those places where you don't, man, God, God, here's where I, I... I don't have the perfection. I don't have righteousness. Here's where I feel like a mess. I know often we come to the table and we kind of, um, you know, we'll kind of dip the bread and the wine and go in. And that's fine, but I want to invite you this morning to actually take some time at the table. I want to invite you to take a moment before Jesus and the sign of his sacrifice and bring before him the subway part of your life. Don't bring him the Carnegie Hall. Bring him the subway portion of Jesus Here's where I need to receive the beauty of your sacrifice. Here's where I need to receive the glory of what you performed on the cross for my sake. Bring that to him. Sit before him at the table. Bring that to him in prayer this morning. And finally, third, that we would not only point to the violinist and receive the beauty, but that we would join the symphony. Because as that music takes root in you, music of the gospel. Jesus is handing out violins and cellos and trombones, and he is out to restore the harmony of creation, and he invites you and I, the redeemed, to join in the song of the redeemed and be a people who are turning the subway of this world into a theater for his glory, that you and I would participate in bringing beauty, the beauty and the power of who God is, the God of the cross, for all the world to hear. And so as we come to the table this morning, we come to the bread and the wine, the bread of Christ's body broken for you, the wine of his blood shed for you. This bread and this wine, it's a sign, it's the display of his glory. Not just his defeat, but his victory on your behalf to bring you into his kingdom. And as we come to the table this morning, uh, I was struck reflecting this week on just the nature of a subway is that it's underground. That word sub itself means under, it's underground. And I believe that speaks as a picture to how far Christ was willing to go, not just to come to earth to perform that perfect life, but to go down into the grave and die a perfect death so that you and I could be raised with him to participate in this glory of God, that we would glorify the Son as the Father glorifies the Son. And as we lift up Jesus, that would bring glory to the Father. And so as we come to the table this morning, we come to him who went down into the depths, the subterranean depths of the earth, so you and I could be raised up into that Carnegie Hall, into the symphony of God's new world, the theater for his glory.
Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you, God, that uh, we did not have the money for the tickets into the grand theater, God, and you brought the symphony to us. God, we thank you for the cross where you have brought the beauty of your eternal glory into the subway of our world, God, into the commotion and the chaotic dark places down below. You have brought it, and even now the music echoes and reverberates throughout the earth, Lord. God, we pray this morning, we long to be a people who can hear the music, God, that we can see the beauty and the glory of what you have done for us on the cross. And so, Jesus, we point to you this morning uh, as the one who has brought this majestic salvation to us, God. God, we thank you for the cross, this display of your glory where your divine love was poured out to atone for our sin, to break our chains, to bring us into union with you. And Jesus, we wanna hear the music, God, just the the beauty of your glory displayed. God, I I pray for those of us this morning who find ourselves immersed in the, the busyness of life, God. And maybe those of us where our imaginations have become deadened to be able to see you at work in the mundane places of the world. God, would you open our ears again this morning like children, that we would be in awe and wonder, the majesty of your world. And God, that we, as our ears become attuned to your gospel, we realize you are a God who does not shy away from the mundane places. Rather, you delight to enter into them, Lord. And so this morning, God, we offer you our mundane places. God, we offer you the places in our lives that are marked by the graffiti and the noise and the commotion, the inner things. And we say, Jesus, would you come and play your symphony in us? Jesus, display your glory in the parts of us that we haven't dared to believe you would enter into. And God, we wanna join the symphony. God, we wanna participate in the subway of this world being restored as a theater for your glory, God. God, make us a foretaste, God, like like Carnegie Hall. Make us a place, a church, a body where the echoes and reverberations of what you've done for us on the cross, your sacrificial love would reverberate throughout our lives for all the world to hear. Jesus, it is in your name and for your glory that we pray. Amen. As we come to worship this morning, if you need prayer, I wanna invite you. There are gonna be people at the prayer doors. If there's something, man, some of that, that subway part of your life you ought to bring before God together in prayer, there are people here who would love to pray for you. And a reminder, I wanna invite you to take a little time at the table this morning as we come, stand before Christ and bring him those areas, the mundane places, the places, those subway places. Ask him to bring the beauty of his gospel there. And as we join now and we we respond and worship, the proper response to such a performance as Jesus has displayed at the cross, the proper response is a standing ovation that we as the people of God would worship and glorify the Son 
And in so doing, we would glorify the Father. So I want to invite you to stand for us to lift our voices, lift our hands if you feel so led, lift your hearts and your body to give a standing ovation of worship to Christ, our crucified and risen King.